even uh, the bimetallic ratio, which means the gold-silver ratio. That means you do arbitrage between gold and silver, which is a particularly good strategy. I tell you why. Because for no length of time are you fully invested in cash, whereas if you, you do just uh, gold uh, speculation, outright gold speculation, then when you expect the gold price to fall, you sell all the gold you have. But the disadvantage of that is that you are in dollars for that period of time. And the dollar may go to zero without advance notice. I'm not saying it will, but it could easily lose half of its value. And, and there, that's why I don't consider gold speculation or silver speculation a particularly uh, good strategy. Much better strategy is the bimetallic arbitrage, where you have two accounts, a gold account and a silver account. And then, of course, uh, the spread you follow is the uh, bimetallic ratio, which historically varied between, say, the low of 15 and the high of 100. Right now, it's, uh, it's 44. 43.3. Well, there you are. You see, that's how precise you have to be. Because sometimes, uh, you know, these decimals uh, could give you good profits. It's, it's the timing which is all important. So there are lots of examples. Uh, and... Uh, I think we have seen enough. Let's discuss the two legs because it's also extremely important, especially if you are in production. You are a producer. And then you are watching the vertical uh, spread. You, uh, here's the vertical structure of production. You, a vertical spread is the difference between two points along this vertical line. So this means it's a semi-finished good here with a higher degree. It's further away from the consumer. That's your input. You buy your ingredients and put it, that's your input. And then you are producing something which is your output. And uh, you have a stockpile of your input and the stockpile of output. I mean, you don't sell out every unit you produce. 
immediately after you have produced them. But you have a, a warehouse, and, and it's your choice whether you increase your stockpile of inputs or increase or decrease stockpile of outputs. Sometimes you use the word leads and lags. You could lead your input or lag your input and the same at the output level. These are all decisions which the producer has to make. Now, when you see a reason for leads or lags, you will enter the market. You will always enter a long lag, okay? You, well, I shouldn't say always, but you enter, say, a long lag and delay the short lag here. And this means you keep producing and letting accumulate your store of outputs. Let's assume that it's pre-Christmas season and you are building up inventory for the Christmas sale. And when Christmas comes around, then you sell your inventory and we call it a two-legged straddle because you won't know how profitable your operation was until the short leg, this one, is entered. So long leg, short leg. Okay? Now that's the lead situation. But sometimes you have the opposite strategy. You want lag, which is kind of unwinding your operation. For example, it looked very good uh, for some before a recession hit the economy. So you were confident and built up your inventory of inputs and then of course it followed with an increasing interval of the output. And then all of a sudden the recession hits the economy so you realize, perhaps you are the first to realize that you have been too optimistic and there, then you have to have a lag which means you keep adding these travels at a reduced rate which might even mean that you have a short leg here and you are pushing your output because you know that the recession is coming, so you better get 
get a re better reuse your inventory of the output. So it also occurs the other type of straddle that you are short on the higher order good and you are long is it? The, long the the output which is the lower order. Okay. Now this is the uh, you know, there's a ter terrific scope here to for further analysis, and, and uh, you will find that in actual practice they all occur. But uh, for the sake of keeping it simple, I think these four types of struggles are indicative of the. Now we come to this point, which I think at an earlier lecture already touched, but this is very properly below. And uh, I want to read this sentence here. Formation of the asked price. It follows the one left struggles in, in your handout. So please find it and follow. I'm reading. So in order to explain the uh, This is the, the point of oh yeah. Ask yeah. Okay, the the uh, this equilibrium model. This, this is equilibrium. Oh, this is equilibrium. And now we come to that. The, the point of this which I want to emphasize for, for you to see in order to understand why we have to talk about this. Because the situation is so much more complicated than in the equilibrium case. The uh, factors which play a role in the formation of the asked price are entirely different from the factors which result in the variation of the bid price of a given bid. And of course, the uh, equilibrium model is completely unable to handle that difference. Because there's no distinction between us and with price. But once we have this distinction, thanks to Karl Menger, then we can ask the question, 
what factors will have an effect on the house price, what factors will have an effect on the bid price. And that gives us a great insight. So the equilibrium theory has no chance competing with us because we have a much better grip on reality than the equilibrium theory. So let me just read this sentence and please uh, do ask questions if something needs clarification. Okay, this is critical. Well, it's the bottom of the page. Did everybody find that? Okay. Formation of the asked price. <clears throat> the asked price of the consumer good X marks the point where the opportunity cost of buying an additional unit of X becomes critical to the marginal consumer. He is the first consumer to refuse to buy the uptick in the price of X in view of his opportunity to buy a substitute. Say, consumer good X dash. Alright, so that's a sentence and it's a mouthful too, as you might uh, remark, because there are these words, opportunity, cost, optic, and so on. So, let's open the floor to questions. Um, I saw people looking at each other for maybe clarification, but if there is anything not clear, then you know, may maybe now is a better time than, than later. The interesting thing is that it's the consumer, not the asked price, who is asking. Of course, the seller is asking. It would be the producer. But it's the consumer who determines the level, the but, upper level. But it's the consumer who has the deciding vote what the ask price should be because the consumers are competing. Now what you what the situation, typical situation you have in mind is that you uh, have uh, a store of something, maybe coffee. The housewife decides how much coffee she wants to have in the pantry. So she can have one bag, two bags, three bags, any number of bags. And perhaps she keeps buying and then holds back to see what is happening. And if there is a good price, she will buy another bag, and then later on another bag. Now, how does the ask price for coffee form? Well, let's 
assume that's, that the price of coffee is slowly rising. Okay. And then the housewives still buy it. But obviously there will be a point when <coughs> she will say no. I am not going to pay more for coffee per unit, per kilogram. Um, and that is what we have to see. The critical decision, of, and we call this the marginal consumer. Because there are other consumers as well, and we are concentrating on the behavior of the marginal consumer. And when the coffee price rose high enough so that the marginal consumer decides that that's it, I'm not going to pay more, I already have some, I wouldn't mind buying more, but I'm not because this is the cutoff. Or she can buy a substitute, or she can just stay out of the coffee market. So this this is the insight which which gives us the uh, picture about the ask price of the coffee. It's a kind of maximum price which is still acceptable to the consumer. Now, on the next page you will find the formation of the bid price. of a consumer good. The bid price, call it B, of the consumer good X, marks the point where the opportunity cost of selling an additional unit of X becomes critical to the marginal producer. He is the first producer to refuse to sell the downtick in the downtick in the price of X in view of his opportunity to refuse to buy the producer good Y which is his input in the production of X so in other words when in the previous example, it was the formation of the asked price. There was this structure that we have. The consumer uses horizontal arbitrage, looking at the horizontal spread. And that's the action behind the determination of the price. When it comes to the bid price, 
it is vertical arbitrage and vertical spreads which play a role. The producer who can vary the input. There's a, we talked about that a little earlier. The producer is free to vary his input, move his long leg. And when he finds this critical point, the critical point where he is forced to sell at a lower price, and he says no, that's it. He is not going to buy at a lower price. At that point, you have the bid price. No question. No. Any any questions? Now here we come to my famous. Uh, Blank. Okay. So go back to the bid price. All producers of X are doing vertical arbitrage between consumer and producer goods. And this is a continuous process. They are doing this arbitrage all the time. Because they are, their input is the producer good, their output is the consumer good, and their guiding star is the vertical spread. They look at the landscape of spreads and trying to find the most advantageous vertical spread. Now, as a result of the so I go. I was going to give you this explanation for the ask price, for the formation of the ask price. Here the, uh, sorry, let go back to the structure of production, the horizontal, this one here. So here, in determining the ask price, it's the horizontal arbitrage of the consumers. And this is the place where arbitrage, not everyone would agree that this is arbitrage, but I'm suggesting it is. This is really shifting custom, that's what it is. Okay? Shifting custom. So, it's the marginal 
consumer who is doing this uh, horizontal arbitrage. Now, the first remark I make is that it's not really a person when I say marginal consumer, it's rather a role than an individual person. It could be that different people, one after another, <coughs> play that play that role. So at this moment I am the marginal consumer and ten minutes later you and so on. And sometimes it varies very quickly, sometimes very slowly, regardless whether it's <coughs> quick or slow, there is such a role. So when I say marginal consumer, I'm ignoring that it's really different persons. So I'm talking about the role. And this marginal consumer I represent as a as a, a figure skater. Okay. I think that's that's explained. So uh, let me just read this. Of course, the person of the marginal consumer and the item X uh, dash, which is shifting from one particular good to another horizontal, using horizontal arbitrage to another good. So this is X, it's fixed. But X dash, the alternative, can be many other at the same level. Okay? And the marginal consumer, I assume, is a figure skater. And he, uh, the figure skater has a long leg and a short leg. And as it is, <coughs> the long leg is the variable one, and the short leg is x. Now, I find this useful. I hope you will too, that the figure skater has a fixed short leg, but then he traces out all the alternatives which might just serve his purposes better. Okay? So that's what he's doing, the figure skater, with a fixed short leg and a variable long leg. <coughs> so let me finish uh, reading this. 
So when, whenever another consumer takes over the role from the first, another one will be the marginal, the item X double dash he substitutes for X may well be different from X dash. And over a period of time when the price of X is undergoing change, Hundreds of different people may, one after the other, play the role of the marginal consumer of X. While X dash sweeps through, that's a long leg, sweeps through the spectrum of all possible substitutes for X. This picture can be simplified if we personify the marginal consumer of X and think of him as a figure skater skating in the rink of consumer goods. His long leg is anchored to X. Why did I say short? <laughs> and uh, his short leg is skating through all the possible substitutes. This then is the mechanism whereby the market integrates the fragmented knowledge of and power over the price of X that is that resides in individual consumers but crystallizes in one number and that's the answer price. Now, uh, it's uh, past five o'clock. There's a similar picture for the formation of the bid price where the person is the marginal uh, producer. And again, this is a role. It's not a person. But it's... Then we want to visualize this role, how it happens. And then I've, I found it helpful myself, and I'm suggesting it to you, as you may also find it helpful. The marginal producer is moving along these vertical lines and he will have a short leg and a long leg. And we think of a ladder, okay? And his one leg, I'm not going to say longer shirt because I got confused before and, and we are under a bit of time pressure here. But his, one of his legs, longer shirt, is fixed one rung of the ladder. These are called rungs in the ladder. And then he is checking out the other neighboring rungs with his other leg to make sure that they won't break and they are, you know, no problem. And you see, all the producers of the same good are doing that. So there's a lot of information which has to be compressed here. And 
when you do and come up with one number which will then decide what the the uh, bid price of that particular group should be. I'm sorry this is a little bit uh, longer topic than we had time allotted for, but last sentence, the reason why I included this in, in this course, because this is really not our problem, no mention of interest in the whole hour. However, however, this is the big leap which is coming next. We extend this ask price, bid price formation to the bond market. And when we do, this is a huge leap which will solve the problem of this war between the time preference. And it's a very surprising term. But that's why we had to go through this, because we are going to apply this to the bond market and that will give us very rich dividends. So with this I close and won't come back to this topic, but you might want to read it. I, uh, I, I recommend it. It's, it's not an easy reading. You probably have to read it several times, but it's it's very beneficial. So with this I finish for today. Thank, Thank you. you. Professor. Thank you.